This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Gamley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. New Hampshire's Attorney General has issued cease and desist orders against two Texas companies. The firms are allegedly connected to robocalls that discouraged Democrats from voting in last month's presidential primary. Joining me now to talk more about this is Boston Globe reporter Amanda Gokey. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Thanks so much for coming in. Amanda, tell us more about these calls. What was the message and, and how many voters did they target? So the call included a message from a deep fake likely created through artificial intelligence. So callers would hear what sounded like President Joe Biden discouraging people from voting. The message said, quote, it's important that you save your vote for the November election. And, quote, voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday, end quote. So the attorney general this week could not say the exact number of Granite staters who received this call. But he did say that the number was at least in, in the thousands and that the calls seemed to target registered Democrats. OK. And the two firms under investigation are Lingo Telecom and Life Corporation. What action is the AG's office taking against them? So the attorney general, John Formella, has issued a cease and desist letter to Life Corporation, which is a company based in Texas that is owned by Walter Monk. That letter essentially orders the company to stop doing this, and it puts the company on notice that this behavior is illegal. That means the company cannot claim ignorance or say that they didn't know they were breaking the law moving forward. And the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, sent a cease and desist letter to Lingo Telecom. The state has also opened a criminal investigation, so it's notifying Life Corp and Lingo Telecom to preserve relevant documents and it has issued subpoenas to all the entities that they think may have relevant information that's on this. Yeah, it's interesting. Have the firms responded at all, Amanda? No. They haven't responded to requests for comments. One report out of Texas said a reporter actually went to the physical Life Corp headquarters and knocked on the door and that, you know, while someone sort of peeked around the corner and, and saw that they were there, they didn't let the reporter in or answer any questions about their involvement in this case. You know, I... How are officials preparing for more of this kind of artificial intelligence interference in elections? I know the Federal Communications Commission just yesterday said they're outlawing such robocalls that contain AI-generated voices. So I asked Fermella that very question about what the state is doing to prepare, especially as you know these attacks are only expected to become more sophisticated. He said that's why the state is responding so quickly and aggressively to the issue at hand. They want to send a message to other possible offenders, you know, that the state is really not going to tolerate this and that it will use the full extent of the law to punish this, working in a bipartisan way with other states and the federal government. He said they've learned a lot from investigating and that they'll be better able to track this type of call in the future so they may be able to respond faster. And he also just stressed the importance of voter education so people can identify this and not fall for it. Mm -hmm. But there's not really a solution that might be able to proactively stop this from happening. Governor Sununu and state Republicans have been calling for more patrols along New Hampshire's northern border with Canada. Amanda, you've been reporting on this. Why, why are they calling for more resources there? So they have pointed to data from the Swanton sector. You know, that includes New Hampshire as well as Vermont and parts of New York. And this data shows a significant increase in border encounters and apprehensions. It's about a 550 percent increase in just one year from 200 from 2022 to 2023. So they look at that and they say, you know, this is a crisis situation. 
Sununu has suggested that some of the people coming through are potentially dangerous. They could be criminals on a terror watch list. And they could be coming through the New Hampshire's northern border. So, And they've also pointed out that federal resources have been shifted to respond to the southern border, so there's less of a federal presence. Okay. Well, the southern border, obviously, many more people coming across that border. But what does the data show about how often these encounters are actually occurring in New Hampshire? So the ACLU of New Hampshire actually sued for disaggregated data that is just specific to the apprehensions and encounters along New Hampshire's 58 mile stretch of the border. And they found that in a 15-month period, there were actually only 21 encounters or apprehensions that were specific to New Hampshire. And the ACLU, as well as some state Democrats, are basically taking this to mean that there is no crisis. They're saying it's a, you know, a political invention that Republican lawmakers have used in an election year. And it's an issue that obviously a lot of Republican voters are energized by mm-hmm. right now, particularly regarding the southern border. Now, you reported this week that there's a divide among state Democrats in New Hampshire's congressional delegation on the northern border issue. How so? So members of New Hampshire's congressional delegation, all Democrats, have all said that they support more resources at the northern border. Senator Jean Shaheen and Senator Maggie Hassan have been asked about this since we've received the New Hampshire-specific data, and they both said they want more federal resources, and that includes more patrols. Hassan said she expects transnational criminal groups to target the northern border and spoke favorably about processing deportations more quickly, strengthening detention capacity, and making it more difficult for people to stay in the U.S. illegally. And some state Democrats are really critical of that approach. Representative Alessandra Murray, a Manchester Democrat, essentially said that those are Republican talking points that can demonize people who may be seeking asylum legally. She was also critical of the Biden administration for continuing policies that started under former President Donald Trump. She said, quote, detention and deportation are not solutions, but processing asylum cases in a timely manner and establishing better pathways to citizenship are. Now, the New Hampshire House nearly passed a bill on Thursday, Amanda, that would raise the income threshold for families who want to take part in the state's school voucher program. Who's eligible now and and who would that extend to under this, this new bill? So currently, families earning up to 350 percent of the federal poverty level are eligible and obviously have a school-aged child um, who could attend public school. So that's around $105,000 for a family of four. And it was increased from when the program was first introduced at just 300 percent. Now, the bill that passed the House yesterday would increase the cap to 500 percent of the federal poverty level, which is $150,000 for a family of four. According to estimates, that would cover around 13,380 eligible students. And of course, you know, not all the students who are eligible mm-hmm. would necessarily opt in to this program. Well, I'll have to take a, uh, we'll have to see more about what's going to happen with that reporting. We'll be watching for it. The Boston Globe's Amanda Goki, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. You can find more of her work at bostonglobe.com slash New Hampshire. And joining me now to talk about the latest news on the health beat is Anne-Marie Timmons, senior reporter for the New Hampshire Bulletin. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Rick. Law- uh, lawmakers considering a bill, Anne-Marie, that would add certain mental health records to gun background checks. Now, this proposal stems in large part from a shooting that took place at New Hampshire Hospital in November. Is that right? It is right. And it's really the only reason this bill was introduced. Um, in fact, the prime sponsor titled it Bradley's Law for the security officer, Bradley Haas, who was fatally shot by a former patient in the hospital lobby lobby. Um, In the vast majority of cases, we know that the combination of mental illness 
and a firearm leads to suicide, not homicide. But this homicide was what led to this legislation. Now, New Hampshire hospital staff did testify in support of the bill. What do they have to say? There are really two points here. Um, one is federal law prohibits individuals who have been involuntarily committed to a psychiatric hospital from possessing or buying a gun. But New Hampshire is not putting those records into the background check database that would allow the state to be in compliance with that. So that's one piece. Um, second, and this is this is really interesting, mental health advocates are really sort of cautiously supportive of this because they want a they want a, a limited number of individuals who are committed and deemed dangerous through the court process to be added to this list. Um, they don't want people who are in an ER right now waiting for an involuntary emergency admission, and the and the bill would not include those folks. But they also want a very clear and guaranteed path um, for people who are on the list to be able to be removed from it. Um, once they are well again. And, mm -hmm. and that's where you see an unexpected alliance between the mental health folks and the gun rights group. Um, so really, it's those it's those two pieces. Yeah. And Republican Representative Terry Roy, he, the, the, he's the sponsor of the bill. He's a Second Amendment advocate. How broad is the bipartisan support for this bill in the House? Right. He is, I would say, the Second Amendment advocate. He's so strong on that. Um, he has partnered with a Portsmouth Democrat who is equally um, an advocate of gun safety. They, I don't know if they've ever really agreed on a gun bill, and here they are supporting this together. I think they saw a, a sort of really a tragic situation become an opportunity to partner here and mm -hmm. do something that they think they can reach agreement on. Um, it's not going to be an easy fight um, in the House because the gun groups are very well organized and they're pressuring lawmakers to reject this bill. Wait times, I know, in emergency rooms for psychiatric beds have been a longtime issue here in New Hampshire, and lawmakers are now considering a bill that would create transitional housing for eligible patients. Uh, Anne-Marie, how might this help alleviate those long wait times? This is really addresses what the Department of Health and Human Services calls the backdoor problem. Um, right now, about 40 to 50 people hospitalized in the state hospital, and that's a third of the, the census. And they are no longer in need of that inpatient care, but they can't live independently yet. And so they really need this transitional housing where they can start to live independently, but there are some supports there, um, but that doesn't exist. So here they are in the mm -hmm. hospital. If they were discharged today, that would more than clear for example, the emergency room waits we see right now, they're you know in, in the 20s right now. So that would more than clear that, that wait list. So it really would be a game changer, I think, um, but we're not, we're not there yet. Yeah, and how would this bill address the cost of creating that transitional housing for these psychiatric patients? I'm thinking about the shortage of healthcare workers in the state in general. Right, it's, it's always a money question um, in New Hampshire. Um, Medicaid would cover the hospitalization and mental health care of this population, but not that housing piece. And so this bill would put in about $3 million to do some different things to support that, that housing. It's not money for healthcare workers, as you note. Um, I think the hope is that last year in the budget, they put in really historic investments in the workforce development. and. Hopefully, this, the state is hoping that that starts to take root and these can partner together mm -hmm. and, and get us into a new 
a new place. Okay, and Marie, we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you about the New Hampshire's uh, Office of the Child Advocate pushing for a new bill this week that would increase supervision of children placed out of state. Can you t- briefly tell us how that bill came about? Yes, the, the Child Advocate visited um, two children who were down in a Tennessee facility this summer and discovered what she called horrifying abuse. Um, kids were had rug burns on their face from being restrained on the floor. They were staff were incentivizing kids to assault one another. Kids were sleeping in mattresses on the hallways. Um, and there just was not state, you know, state eyes on the facility in the way that she thought was necessary. Um, so she partnered with um, a House Republican to try to increase state supervision of that. And we we heard the first details of that this week. I'll be hearing much more about that and be watching your reporting for that. Emery Timmins, senior reporter for the New Hampshire Bulletin. Emery, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. You can find more of her work at NewHampshireBulletin.com. And as always, we are here next Friday. We have more top headlines for you. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is NHPR.